In an era of social media perfection, we're often able to see curated accounts of success, but almost never really get a chance to see or even hear about the grit, challenges, and moments of clarity that led to that success. Do you have really big dreams, but often sometimes feel stuck? Well, you've definitely come to the right place. This is Treasure Hunters, the podcast for people foraging new paths who also need a little inspiration and truth from people who have definitely walked the walk. I'm Laura McKnight. I'm an artist, creative, and fellow seeker. I've already lived multiple lives, and along the way, I've met some very interesting and inspiring people. So every week, I talk with them. They sit down with me and share their various unorthodox journeys and drop practical gems for you and I to use along the way. This is Treasure Hunters. Hello, fellow seekers. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, we have joining us this week um, on the podcast, A Force of Nature. Uh, she's a writer, entrepreneur in the tech space, and just all around life inspiration of mine, it's Ashley Brown. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much. That was the sweetest thing ever. You know that I feel the exact same about you. I want to be you when I grow up. So this well, is stop. awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yes. Thank you so much for joining so I start every show with this question and you can answer it as authentically as it comes off the top of your head or wait a little bit later in the conversation. But I always ask if we were to meet your younger self, who or what would she say she wanted to be when she grew up? Woo. Um, she wanted to be a lot of different things. Um, but I do think that for a sizable chunk of time, had you asked the younger me, depending on which age, I would say that she would say she wanted to be a filmmaker and also perhaps a performer, like Broadway performer. Oh, Broadway. You already know, like my inner, my inner Broadway geek is like same, <laughs> except for stage fright and I can't sing, but I would have been all up and through there. I love it. Now I can sing, I will say, and it, it's kind of like a, I love to sing. Um, I, I, when I first moved to LA, that's what I did professionally and I enjoyed it. The music industry is disgusting. Music is amazing. Um, but my mom was the person who really encouraged me with music mm-hmm. and I did a lot of stage performances and, um, played piano and, and took vocal lessons and all of that when I was younger, when my mom was living and my dad was never really on board with that. He really Mm -hmm. saw me as going to law school and very pragmatic, very, very proper. Yeah. Very proper. Very Cosby Cosby show. Did we grow up Um, in the same household? (laughs) There you go. Probably. Yes. I think a lot of us did. And so, um, you know, the actual Cosby is a person aside that paradigm I think really shaped a lot of you know um black family uh or not even shaped I would say just expressed a lot of what went on in in upwardly mobile black families so I my dad definitely had a like dignified um idea of how he wanted my future to look and it did not include anything to do with the arts and my mother was like the opposite. She's like, this kid is a performer. I love it. This is great. Like, let's get her out there. And so, after, but after my mom passed away um, and I was 10, like it kind of, well, 11, right at 11, um, 
it just, it died in me. I didn't want to do it very much. Mm. And my dad definitely didn't want me to do it. Didn't want you to do it. Yeah. So that's an interesting, you know, I asked that question of people because on some level, that yearning, that thing that we wanted to do when we were little shows up in a lot of different ways. So when I first met you, you were writing um, and have since taken an amazing turn into tech. So I just wanted to talk about that pivot with you. Like, you know, what was it that took you from the writing space as your predominant, you know, field of work to this tech project and talk a little bit about Claire and like what even inspired you to do it? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. So it's interesting. And I still, I feel like I still battle with it a little bit because writing will always be such a part of me. And it's so funny that you asked that because just this morning I checked my email and there's an organization that I'm a part of here in Nashville um, called Brain Trust. And it's for women entrepreneurs. It's amazing. Um, But I sent an email to um, one of the administrators, the people that run the program. And she (laughs) sent me an email back this morning and she's like, have you ever considered a career as a professional writer? Your writing is like reading, your emails are like reading poetry. And I was like, funny enough. um, Yes, I am a professional writer. And I still do identify that way, even though Mm -hmm. I'm not really writing very much. Mm -hmm. But Claire actually was, it is the, I think, greatest expression of the dichotomy that is me in terms of there is a very left brain side of me that loves, like is a reproductive medicine nerd and loves assisted reproduction. And I mean, I fell into this industry. I needed a job in 2008 when the Mm -hmm. financial crisis hit. I was still pretty new to the workforce and I was working in LA. I had, you know, moved out there, taken a job in Paramount um, for Robert Evans production company that lasted about two seconds before he got kicked off the Paramount lot. And then I ended up working in music. And so I was living this really kind of like hand to mouth, crazy life. And, um, I needed a salary job and through connections, I got a job at a third party agency um, for like egg donors and surrogates. I had never even really heard of all of that. I'd heard egg donors, but like, I think probably in like weird, you know, crazy lifetime or something. And so I didn't know what it was, but I, I became obsessed with it. And it was because my clients that I had, because I was you know, took a job as a senior case manager and I was working anywhere from 60 to 80 cases at a time and everybody had a story. And it was amazing to hear these stories. Like these people that were coming, yeah, they wanted to have a kid. There was, you know, that upper thing, but there was like a story that got them there. And as a storyteller, I was like, this is amazing. So even though, you know, eventually things leveled out with the economy, I went back to doing contract work. I went back to doing creative work. I was a screenwriter for Hallmark and production companies that were for like Walden Media and Lifetime, which weren't mm-hmm. the type, it wasn't the type of production that I wanted to be doing, right. but it paid the bills. So I was like, whatever. Um, it, but I would always find my way back to assisted reproduction because I loved it so much. And so I think just in like staring down 40 a few years ago Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, yeah, let's see that year. I was 36. I was about to turn to 37. And I said, how am I going to marry these two parts of me? Because I felt like I was like 
Clark Kent and Superman. Like, yes, Clark, Clark Kent was like my assisted reproduction side. And nobody even knew that I was working in that industry. Most of the time they knew me as a mm-hmm. creative because that's what I love to do. But I also love this thing. And I was like, how am I going to marry these two things? And Claire has kind of become the like greatest expression of that. And even more because it's Ooh. that left brain side. It, I am the mission of it is exactly what I love about assisted reproduction and filling the gap in the market that I saw just working in that space. And then also there's like the creative brand building, um, the, you know, marketing, all of those challenges that are really creative that I also get to do. So that really is the cool part about it. And then also the business stuff that I love. I, I, there's a lot that I love about it now. (laughs) <laughs> founding startup is not for the week. It is. Yes. Could you share a little bit about what those, you know, beginning days really looked like for you? So, um, I incorporated Claire in January of 2020. I had just finished the founder gym accelerator. I knew nothing about this space. And so at the little bit that I learned in that accelerator, no shade to them. I just really didn't know anything. So everything was, I was coming from a a major deficit. Um, And so I incorporated. But I think also a major advantage too, right? Because when you come into something and you don't know it the way it's always been taught, you are able to kind of see where the opportunities are and where you can be creative again. Yes. And you know what I heard? a few years ago, actually, whenever the 25th anniversary of uh, the Five Heartbeats was, I went to go, I went to that at the Writers Guild in LA and Keenan Ivory Wayne said that. And because he said that they did, you know, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, Keenan Ivory Wayne said that they did, what was the movie? One of the Hollywood Shuffle. Hollywood um, Shuffled, yeah. Robert oh, Townsend. It, I'm gonna get you and, sucker. I'm going to get you sucker. Yes. But and Robert, he and Robert Townsend did five heartbeats together. So they were both there on stage, mm-hmm. but they were saying that back then they didn't know, they were so ignorant to how things were done that they didn't even realize that they were, that they were doing everything wrong, but it was actually right because it was getting the stuff done. Um, but they were like, you know, we were so ignorant. We didn't know that it was supposed to be that hard. So we were just like, let's just do this. Let's just max out this credit card. Let's get another credit card and do this. Let's put this. And he's like, you know, we, we did it together. It was, but he was like, it was sheer ignorance that made what we did so great. It was because we didn't know we weren't supposed to do those things. (laughs) And I was like, that is real. That's real. So you're exactly right. When you say that exactly right. But yeah, so we get these big ideas and we're like, why can't we do it? And then you can't know what you don't know until you realize you don't know it. But like, it takes a certain level of grit and gumption to just like jump in there. That's right. I will say that this space, I have learned to really heed the advice of people that have gone before me um, Mm. more so Mm -hmm. than any other space. I do think that in the entertainment industry, there's a lot more acceptance for really outside of the box creativity. Um, And I think that creativity is championed in tech, but it's not always appreciated when it's happening um, the same way that it would be in a more artistic endeavor. I think people want you to be inside of a box. And I think it is exceptionally like difficult for women and especially like BIPOC women, like it's, Mm -hmm. 
it's a lot. Um, and, and I am, I have learned to be really mindful if someone tells me like, don't reach out to that investor. That's not going to be a good look or, you know, this is what happens typically with us. And, you know, you can test the waters. I don't allow other people's fear to become my fear, but sometimes there's a lot of wisdom and you can end up wasting a lot of time and money. I think going down these rabbit holes that are not going to be fruitful. And so I, what I appreciate being in FemTech specifically in this vertical of tech mm-hmm. is that women look out for women. Like I was just going to say like the mentorship. Real. Yes. And the partnership, like in no other area of tech is this happening. Absolutely. Like no way especially when you talk about AI and fintech and crypto and all these like really kind of bro code, you know, areas of tech, nobody's thinking, oh, look, a new competitor is coming out. Let me reach out to them and see how we might be able to partner. But that's what happens in fintech all the time. I have meetings, people reach out to me on LinkedIn all the time. Hey, want to learn more about clear? Like, can we talk? Can we have a, you know, a, a Zoom coffee? And I've met so many amazing women and we are always thinking about how we can partner. And it's also because women in this space are building something because they are really tied to it. And it means something to them. They either, they had somebody in their life that went through something to do with their health um, or they've gone through it themselves. And so they're really passionate about it, whether it's endometriosis or some type of cancer Mm -hmm. or fertility stuff, like everybody's coming to it because they're, they really want to see a change happen in the world. They don't just want to make a lot of money, money. Um, it almost feels so, like a microcosm of like <laughs> just the world in general, like outside yeah. of the tech space. Like there are people who Absolutely. are very much there for financial gain and like, good for you. That's, that's what gets you out of bed every day. Um, <laughs> but women in general, <laughs> yes, women are always are looking not out always, for everybody. We're exactly. always looking out for everybody. Um, yeah. Again, especially BIPOC women. Especially. And I, I really, I said this to someone the other day, you know, Hillary Clinton is a word that is, is very, is a term, I should say, the person is very polarizing. People have a yes. really visceral reaction. Either they're, they love her or they absolutely like despise, despise her. her. I have loved Hillary Clinton since I was 12 years old. And so, um, I'm sorry, it's not just because we're two nerds from the DC area. Yeah, no, like I, lo- I have loved her because she was the first first lady that I had seen. And I mean, granted, she's the first first lady that I paid attention to because I was really young, but still she didn't fit into that. Like, I'm going to bake cookies and be in the White House mold. She's badass from the beginning. So I'm like, I will always ride for Hillary Clinton. I love her because you can tell like she just has no fucks to give. And I really enjoy that about her um always have she's I definitely a, a turning point in terms of how we view that I wouldn't even call it a role how we view the the, the spouse of the president yeah. the partner you know they, and, um, and I mean Michelle Obama has said it and I think she's right. so right like Hillary Clinton opened the door for her especially as a black woman because that's even more difficult, um, I think, for a Black woman. And I think even, you know, there are things that Hillary could do that that Michelle couldn't get away with. But still, they were both like, Hillary was despised for not not being what people expected a first lady. Right, she was highly educated. She had an opinion. 
Um, and she wasn't afraid to tell you about it. And she had political ambitions of her own. And I think, you know, you're right. She's very polarizing, but you can't deny that that is a, that's a turning point because when you look at the first, you know, wives that followed all of them, very educated, very accomplished. Everything in ways well, that we didn't we necessarily see or celebrate prior to that. That's right. Until we got to 2016, that's another person. But um, that aside, we don't that know almost her. that didn't happen. Yeah, that's like we don't know her. Wand. It was a nightmare yeah. dream sequence. Um, yeah, I, I honestly I treat that whole administration like 2020. Like sometimes I'm just like that didn't happen. Didn't happen. Shake it off. Um, but it's so interesting. So I'm actually really into, uh, presidential history. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, so I watch all of those like CNN and discovery channel and history channel shows about first ladies. And it is crazy to me how many of these first ladies in the past actually did have a lot of sway and pull over their husbands. I know Lady Bird Johnson was a big one. Um, and what is the other one? Gerald Ford, like Betty Ford. Mm-hmm. But I think Bill Clinton was the first president to be very open about like, this is who, this is my chief advisor. Like this person is, she's the smartest person that I know. And he would say that openly. And I think like, we had just never seen that before. I'm there yeah. I'm, for, for centuries, I'm sure there have been women who their husbands privately acknowledge that, but they weren't going out in front of everybody and saying every good idea I have is because of this person. Um, but Bill Clinton did that. And so it was like, Hmm, that's interesting. And I think that kind of was a turning point because now you have Barack who's like, I'm Michelle's husband instead of saying his name or right. Steph Perry's like, I'm Aisha's husband. Like, you know, they are, um, you know, that's just something that happened. So I think that's cool. But I brought her up because I said this to someone the other day. I was like, women keep going no matter what. And whether you love her or hate her with Hillary Clinton, I can never get the image out of my mind of her 2016 campaign when she passed out coming off stage with the flu because she was working herself literally until she blacked out passed out and I'm like it's so funny to me people are like oh is she sick sick." no she's doing what women always do Mm -hmm. work themselves to the bone kill themselves for the greater good until they can't do it anymore that is what happened and I and everyone any woman who acted like they didn't know what was happening there is a fake and a fraud 100% it's just what we do it's what we do so in terms of building across networks, like, do you find yourself in a mentorship role um, more so now? Are you still kind of in that being mentored phase of your, your career? Is it, you're, you know, you're to go either me. way? Like, how are we feeling about where Claire is now and like how you're being mentored and steered? You're catching me at a turning point. There's definitely a pivot happening right now where okay. literally I feel like um, I'm in the space and I literally just had this thought over the past week. I was like, I think I'm ready to start advising early stage people. Um, because that was something that I noticed a lot when I first started in this space, there were a lot of 
people who offer to advise early stage tech founders. And I took advantage of, of some of those people and um, you know their counsel, and I was really grateful for it. It was helpful, it was timely. Um, and I never foresaw a day where I would be in the space to do that. Um, but those are like the two things that most tech founders end up doing are investing because it's so hard to raise money that mm -hmm. they want to be part of the, you know, the answer. They want to be part of the solution for other early stage founders. And I definitely want to invest when I'm in the place to do that. Angel invest in, in other founders' dreams. And, um, and, and advising, you know, really early stage people that are just starting out. And I did a little bit of that today. It was my first kind of time. Um, I had a, a Zoom session with someone and just like went through, you know, things that I've been through, like pitfalls, uh, things to avoid, all that. And it is really empowering and it makes you feel a lot better about having gone through the crappy stuff. Yes. Um, because you know that it's going to help somebody else avoid the other stuff. But you did ask me what Claire does, and I should say that too. Um, <laughs> Claire, yes. So Claire Fertility, um, affectionately just called Claire, is a um, digital health platform that essentially reduces the friction between fertility doctors and their patients. But what I like to say is our overarching thing is we are revolutioning, re revolutionizing, excuse me, the way people conceive. And so we are incorporating integrative health into the equation of troubleshooting challenged um, fertility. Mm -hmm. So um, that those five areas that we're focusing on for our go-to-market and we go to market in April are mental health, sleep health, nutrition and fitness, sexual health, and um, natural medicine. So supplements, acupuncture, body work, all of that. And Amazing. how we're, we're doing that is um, we have an integrative health suite. So it's a mobile app for people who are trying to get pregnant. It's a mobile app on their side. On the physician side, it's an iPad um, app that they use in office, but it gives them a deeper level of insight into their patients. So they're able to see any integrative health stats and data coming from our side in those five areas that might change the way that they're treating them for their fertility That is amazing. Issues. Thank you. Um, super it's excited. It's like you're brilliant or something. <laughs> Girl, listen, I'm trying out here, but this is, so this is what's, so my big thing, and I'll get on this soapbox and die on this hill. Um, I've worked with and for reproductive endocrinologists and fertility doctors for years. They have a protocol that they prefer. And if you come in that office, I come in that office, my neighbor comes in that office, they're giving all of us the same protocol. What sense does that make? It's not going Zero. to work for everybody, which is why people end up having six and seven rounds of IVF before they get pregnant, which is very expensive when you're talking about $20,000 a pop. Right. So the idea is we wanna get to that single cycle, single success, but the reason I think my hypothesis is that the reason that's not happening is because people are not prepared for it. They go mm -hmm. in, there are things that um, they could be changing about their lifestyle, behavioral, that would enhance their chances of success. And I always use this stat first because it was the one that shocked me. Most uh, American women get six hours of sleep a night. If you get eight to nine hours of sleep a night, 
it enhances your chances for IVF success by 25%. So you could be paying $20,000 to do IVF, but sleeping five hours a night. And if you just got three more hours of sleep per night, it would reset your hormones in a way that they would be more receptive to the IVF treatment and you'd have a greater chance of success. Doctors are not emphasizing these things because they don't right. have time or bandwidth to micromanage right. it. So they might tell you, are you getting enough sleep? And you're like, uh, I try. Okay, we'll try to get the sleep. And it's like, great. But to hear that. The, the why would be motivating for just about anybody. And to have an, an expert. So we right. have an amazing neuroscientist who specializes in sleep health, who, do, who is literally doing these sleep audits with people. Let's talk about why are you only getting five hours of sleep a night? What else is going on in your life? How can we improve this? Is it like if you are sleeping and a lot of people wake up during the middle of the night, which is the same as not getting that sleep, like, is it what you're sleeping on? Is it, are there other things that can help? So somebody that actually knows what they're talking about is important. And Absolutely. most fertility doctors have not done a fellowship or a, you know, a residency in neurology, but having a neurologist advise you on that, if that is an issue right. that you really have is important. So that's essentially what we're doing. We have this curated group of experts in those five areas that are basically there to hold your hand. They're there for sessions whenever you need them. And we want to optimize women's overall health, but especially their reproductive health. Um, and so, and that way we, you know, want to assist doctors as well, because they want better success stats. They want people to get pregnant. Right. Um, they want, they don't want their patients to fail. You guys are a bridge. Exactly. Exactly. Bridge. Yes. That's what we say. The bridge and the, the plug as the kids, as the kids the call plug, it. The plug. the plug. Yes. I love it. I love it. But yeah, as the youth call bridging it. the gap. Yeah. You're so, the plug. We are super excited. So we start in clinic trials in January. We go to market in April. Amazing. Amazing. If you could just share, I would say, if you could sum up your experience in like three words from your creatrix writing life to now just this amazing booming tech space that you're growing. If you could sum up your experience in three words, what would they be? Mm. I have all these cute things running through my head, but I'm like, does that really, that really fit? I would say, you know what? I think the biggest thing I would say is don't say no. Don't say no no. to do, don't say no to anything that seems like it's going to be too difficult or seems like something that you're not really suited for. If it falls into your spirit, it falls into your mind. Mm. Like, I think there was a time when I was like, this is maybe too big for me. And I remember one of my strategic advisors that um, is on my advisory board, who's the CEO of a, a big company in, in Minneapolis. And I talked to her and I was like, I don't know that I want to be the CEO of Claire. And I was like, you know, I would like to probably hire somebody to do that. I just have this idea and I'd maybe like to be in like charge of like marketing or something like that. She was like, why don't you want to be CEO? I was like, I don't know. I just don't feel like, 
I don't feel like a CEO. And she was like, I think you're supposed to be CEO. It's your idea. It's your vision. You mm-hmm. need to, to walk in that. And it's funny because I didn't know it at the time when I first met her, but she is really passionate about um, preparing and championing women for C-level roles um, because she feels uh-huh. like a lot of women hold themselves back because they don't feel and we definitely do or qualified. Yes. Whereas men will have, you know, a third of the experience um, and in some cases, intelligence or uh-huh. brilliance of a woman and they will put themselves up front every time. Um, and so she, her attitude was very much like, I think you're perfect for that. And I don't understand why you wouldn't want to do it. I think you need to think of it again. And so she always tells me, she's like, it's so fun. It's been so fun to watch you grow into this role because it was always yours. And so I think it is it's easier to say no. And we say no a lot. And people, I think we're going through a moment culturally where people are like, you know, learn to say no. And yes, I think in terms of boundaries, absolutely. But in terms of opportunities, no, always say yes. Even if you fuck it up, like you'll be, it'll be fine. It's okay to, to not do something well, but try because you never know what's going to be amazing for you. Absolutely. Don't say no. I like that. Don't say no. That's the shirt. Print it up. That and retired, (laughs) retired hot girl. (laughs) I mean, are we ever really retired though? Really not, but you know, most of the time when I wear this, I look a mess. So this is my like excuse shirt. Like, yeah, I didn't try to say it's okay. And still yet stunting on all the hose. Um, doing. There is no try, there is do. Um this is amazing. So I have an idea for an app to or something to be in the tech space. Mm-hmm. What are some like key beginning steps somebody could take to kind of what are some things that they should just start to do as they're beginning their journey the the like very very key things so I'll tell you something that I did do which was get some support in the form of a pre-accelerator or program because there are so Mm -hmm. many out there and they're awesome um not all of them make sure that you find somebody who went through it before and make sure it's vetted but very early on, I did Founder Gym, which um, was great. And that is for underestimated, they call them, or underrepresented founders. So women and um, people of color mm-hmm. and um, pe- people uh, with disabilities. But um, we, it was awesome, actually. I met so many great friends through that program, and I learned a lot. And it was a pre-accelerator in the sense that most of us had not started companies before, didn't really know very much about the tech space, didn't know how the financial side of things worked, what a cap table really was, how to get all that stuff. So just getting like those fundamentals are important. And in a structured program, I think that one was 12 weeks. There, most of them are like about three months. Um, and you usually meet like, you know, two or three nights a week with them. That is the best way to get the fundamental information. I think something else that's important to do is to do your market research and figure out what's already out there. Almost any idea that you have, somebody else is trying to do something almost identical. So I think finding that differentiator early is important. 
So I would say those are the two big things, like get the support. Um, and also, I mean, get gritty with it. This is something I didn't do early on because I wasn't mm -hmm. really sure what I was doing, but get on LinkedIn and start finding people in that field and just reach out to them and ask for advice. People want to be, they want to have those conversations. They want to be of value and of use to people who can use their expertise or experience. So, I mean, you know, nine times out of 10, they'll do, um, you know, have a, a, a Zoom with you really quick and just go through stuff. So depending on what area it's in, like find some cool people on LinkedIn that have awesome backgrounds, reach out and say, hey, I'm thinking of building this, would love to talk to you about it. And I think I've heard that some people got some really great mentors that way too. So I okay. think those are, those are the big thing. Those are, I mean, I feel like now I'm just like, who can I reach out to on LinkedIn? <laughs> what program can I start? Um, that is very practical information that like, you know, people can take on. And it's really about putting yourself out there in a way that feels authentic to you, to you but then also just like being in a space where you can learn. Yes. Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Well, and don't I mean, hold yourself back too long. I don't hold yourself. I, don't I, say I definitely no. did that. Don't say no. And don't feel like you have to wait until you have some big major success with what you're building to put yourself out there. Um, networking is super, super important in this whole thing. So I wish I had done that earlier. I did join organizations, but in terms of just like when they, when there were calls for, you know, conference speakers and things like that, I didn't feel qualified. So I didn't do it. And now I'm doing it. And it's like, I could have, I could have been doing this. Yeah. This year, last year, this time. And I, I might have been further because I might've had more resources because people reach out to you right after you do things like that and say, I loved what you just said. Can we talk? Um, so I, I would just suggest like making sure that you're putting yourself out there and networking in a real way and and okay being the face of what you're building. Absolutely, absolutely. So to wrap up my shows, I like to do this too. You know, I like to like on the spot, rapid fire, what are we gonna create? So going back to my initial question about your younger self, if you were to talk to your younger self about where you are right now, what is like a mantra, a pearl of wisdom you would give your younger self based on what you know now? Hmm. That's a lot, you know, with all the therapy that I've had, I'm like, now let's see, what is the single lesson? <laughs> what, is the <laughs> what is the common thread of all the things I want to tell that girl? Um, oh boy. So this came up for me this week, but okay. I think um, what I would tell her is, mental health is physical health, um, which is not something that I was raised to believe at all. And having had my mental health encroach on my physical health mm -hmm. and my well-being in my adulthood, and I mean, literally like well into my 30s, um, when it first, like when I I, it first became something that I couldn't ignore and realizing that I had been dealing with issues for years and yes. that I just never acknowledged them because I didn't feel like it was a worthy conversation. Um, 
I would like to go back and tell myself that and a lot of other black girls born in the 80s like hello mental mental health health is is, physical health yes because I think that's something that black women don't hear enough and we're learning it now but Mm. we definitely haven't heard it enough through the years so I wish I had known that as a kid there are a lot of things I wish that I had acknowledged when I was younger I think my life would look a bit different but um yeah I I really want um younger women to know that as they age like always address your mental health, always put on your, your mask first, your um, oxygen mask first, take care of yourself and don't look at it as being selfish or indulgent, self-indulgent mm-hmm. or lazy. It is taking care of yourself. It's imperative. It's literal survival. And it's the tactic literal. that nobody talks about. That's right. That's right. It's this. the thing that will choke your life. So do so it. where can my listeners find you on social media? Yay. Do all the I am at type as in type on the typewriter, T-Y-P-E-A-M-B for Ashton Marie Brown. Um, Claire is at Claire Fertility, um, both on Instagram. And our website is fun. It is clareco.io. So it, that is, uh, and Claire is with an I. Like, it's literally named after clear in French. So that is the best way to think about it um, because I had the idea when I was in Paris. So clarico.io. Also, it's just like delightful to look at. If you are somebody who is very excited by colors, um, do it. <laughs> uh, Damn, I'm so corny. So and it's great. I'm fully telling on myself because more colors, add them up, <laughs> do it. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm all about the color. And so many women's uh, health companies are like white space and neutral colors. And I'm all about the like loud ass color, color, too much, yes. extra. I'm like, my mother used to say more is more. She's like, Less more, is more, more. more is more. I'm like, yeah, more is more. I mean if you have to go in and deal with something that can be very cumbersome and heavy for people why not have something happy and bright to look at yes let's do lush we're doing lush at this stage in life we want we want the like yeah we want juicy and lush we're doing it it's happening (laughs) doing it well Ashley I am so so proud of you Lauren so proud of you I cannot wait to see what you do with this and I cannot wait to listen to the episodes and thank you so, so much for having me. This was super fun. Oh, pleasure was all mine. I'm just like impressed that people actually want to sit down and talk to me about themselves. Girl, who doesn't want to talk to you? Listen, I'm like, I had an ex who used to say, um, if you don't like me, you don't like yourself, which was not true with him. But I feel that way about you. If someone doesn't like you, they don't like themselves. Period. Well, that's the second shirt. Print that up. <laughs> actually does need to be a shirt <laughs> if you don't like me you don't like yourself yeah yeah Check. that's right all right well thanks for being on the show maybe we'll have you on again see where you are after april i can't wait to see what happens once you guys blow it. up it's happening and you too i cannot wait to see <laughs> what this podcast is gonna do i'm like yes what that podcast do i'm ready what that podcast <laughs> do <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of our show today. Um, Again, you can check out Ashley on all of the social media platforms at Type AMB and Claire Co. 
ClaireCo.io and mm-hmm. the IG for Claire is Claire Fertility. Claire Fertility. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Love Thank you. Thank you. Love you too. Talk to you soon. Bye.